Well, good morning, everybody. One of the things that uh, the teacher is going to say to us today uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is that God makes everything beautiful in its time, in its own season. In fact, he's going to tell us that every season that comes into our lives is appointed by God. That just as our lives are given to us by God, the seasons of our lives are appointed by God, whether those seasons be painful or pleasurable, and that even in the painful seasons of life, God is still working. He's still making something beautiful. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 was made famous by a certain band, actually. If you're 40 or younger, you probably think it's the Backstreet Boys. That would be incorrect. But if you're over 50, you probably know the answer. Um, can anybody tell me what, what, what rock group made these words famous? That's correct, the birds. Uh, and now, even uh, if you don't think you've heard this song, there's probably some point in your life where you actually have. So here's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to make a deal with you. I'm going to play you about a 15-second clip from this song just to jog your memory. We're actually going to play it all for you on the way out today. And my promise to you is I'm not going to dance while this clip plays. So uh, let's check out, let's uh, just listen to the next uh, few minutes. Now, it would be easy to kind of superficially look over the verses that follow that we're about to get into today and think, well, you know, these are just kind of random events that flow into our lives. They all kind of happen by accident, but the teacher is not saying that at all. Notice that he said, for everything there is a season, Ecclesiastes 3.1, and a time for every matter, or as the birds sang, every purpose, and he doesn't say under the son, like he has been saying, no, he raises the bar. He says, not, it's no longer under the sun. In other words, God's no longer absent from the picture. We're raising the bar. God's now in view. And so what Solomon, what the teacher is actually trying to say uh, uh, is that uh, God sends all of these seasons into our lives, the good and the bad, to accomplish his purposes. He's reminding us that God is in control and that God is perfectly capable of bringing beautiful things out of even painful seasons. Now, to understand the fullness of what Solomon is saying here, you have to understand something about God. This is something that the Bible teaches over and over and over again throughout Scripture. But to help land it, we're going we're gonna to go to Acts. So I want you to keep your finger in your Bible here in Ecclesiastes 3. But to really grasp the fullness of it, we're going to go to Acts chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, by the way, that phrase, being Lord of heaven and earth, is a technical phrase. It means he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods, the only true God. 
Um, and that's a way of saying that God is sovereign, and we're going to come back to that word in a few moments. But he says, that God does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. And then he gives the purpose statement why he did all that that they should seek God and perhaps feel or find their way toward him yet he is actually not far from each of us now these powerful words were spoken by a disciple of Jesus named Paul. Paul was actually a skeptic of Christianity, an early enemy of the church, who actually ended up meeting Jesus, becoming a Christian, and becoming a Christian missionary. And on one of his missionary journeys, he's in Athens, and he gives that speech. And what Paul is saying is this, look, God is not like you and me. God does not see in pieces. God does not see in seasons like you and I tend to think. God lives outside of time. He exists outside of time. You and I are time bound. We're bound by things like time and seasons, but God is not. He allots the time and place where you are going to be born and where you are going to live. In other words, your parents might have thought you were a mistake, but God never says that. Your parents may have said, oh no, but God says, oh yeah. Yes. So what he's saying is your life, our lives are not an accident. Your life is not. You don't live in Shelbyville by accident. Some of us are here this morning and we think that in order to live our best life, we would have to be living somewhere else. But God says, no, your best life is in Shelbyville, Indiana, because that's where I've placed you. At least for now, that is where I want you and I'm not far I want you to know me. I want you to move toward me just as I've moved toward you. In fact, if I were to ask some of you, what brought you to Shelbyville, Indiana? You might say, well, my, my job transferred me. God says, yeah, I did that. Or you, know, you might say, well, you know, I moved to Shelbyville to be close to my family. Well, God says, yeah, I put that desire in your heart. I did that. And all of this is a way of saying that God is, uh, to use a word that theologians use, that he is sovereign, that he reigns and rules, absolutely. Now, when we use that word sovereign to refer to God, I just want to put it in really practical terms for you. Here's what it means. It means that no matter how big you think God is, he's bigger. It also means that no matter how involved you may think God is in your life, he's more involved in your life than you can even imagine. God is bigger than you think he is, and he's more involved in your life than you can imagine that he is. Um, and then, uh, beginning in verse 2, so we're going to jump back into Ecclesiastes. Here's what you have, Solomon. Here's what Solomon is doing. 
This is Hebrew poetry. He's going to give us a set of 14 opposites, which is a multiple of seven. And this is very, very important. So the, the Bible uh, refers to the number seven as a, a number that represents completeness, totality. So for example, in Genesis uh, 1, 2, and 3, right, you have God uh, creating the world in six days, resting on the seventh day. So you have that number seven. That represents totality, completeness, wholeness. And so what it means here with Solomon is he's saying, look, all of these seasons that we're about to walk through, they, they, uh, they represent the totality, a complete life that a human being might live. And uh, he begins at the beginning and the end of our lives. Here's what he says. There's a time to be born and a time to die. This is true for everyone, right? And these are things that we have no control over. These are things, uh, you know, that yeah, we, we, we can only accept as dependent creatures. And one of these is welcomed in our culture while the other is often shunned. And I get it because death does make us uncomfortable, right? A time to be born, absolutely, I can get behind that. A time to die, well, not so much. But see, the reality is we don't get to choose when or how we receive those two seasons. God sends them. And Solomon is going to say, there is a purpose in every season. God is at work in every season. God is at work in your birth and God is at work in your death. And he goes on. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up. What is planted? Here's what he's saying. Human beings sow and human beings reap, right? There's a season of planting and there's a season of harvesting. Just last night in our home, we were sitting out on our back deck listening to the combines in the field and they were harvesting. We understand those seasons, right? And then he goes on to say this. There's a time to kill and there's a time to heal, now, I want to be clear, the teacher is not saying that killing is a good thing. He's not commanding it or recommending it. He's just acknowledging that in a broken and in a fallen world, killings do happen. And sometimes you even have to kill things, maybe certain animals to eat right? So just FYI, anytime, if you've ever eaten a hamburger, something had to be killed for you to be able to enjoy that hamburger. That's what he's talking about. But then other times, maybe you want to heal someone or heal an animal. So in the case of a cow, maybe you need to kill it to eat to live. But in the case of a horse or an oxen, you need to bring healing to that animal because you're dependent on it. You need that animal to farm your ground. So there's a time to kill and a time to heal. And then a time to break down and a time to build up. We know this is true, right? Any of us have ever done a home reno project, we know that the old has to come out before the new can come in. There is a time for that. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh 
Again, these are just human, uh, universal experiences that we all share together. We weep over and with one another, and we laugh uh, with and over, and even sometimes at other human beings, right? There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. We're all mourners and we're all dancers. We go through seasons of mourning and we go through seasons of dancing. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. This one is a little cryptic, Uh, It could refer, and probably does, though nobody knows for sure, to the building or tearing down of an altar for worship. So if that's true, what he's saying here, that it's a universal experience for all of us, that we're all worshipers. Even if you're an atheist, you worship something. You worship someone. And so you would cast down stones in the case of a false idol and you would gather stones together to create an idol to worship the true God, Yahweh. Then he goes on, there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now listen, as much as we'd probably all say, I would like more hugs, Sometimes that's just not appropriate, right? Sometimes it's best to refrain from hugging. We don't usually hug people the first time that we meet them. That would be kind of awkward, right? In fact, if I said to many of you right now, I want you to reach over and give your neighbor a hug, well, you're probably going to respond, you know what? Solomon said there's a time to refrain from hugging, and that time is now. No thank you, right? There's a time to seek and there's a time to lose. This is not a season for me. This is a daily activity, right? At least once a day, I lose my phone or I lose my key fob. Don't look at me like that. I know all of you do the same thing, right? In fact, how many of you have misplaced something already today? And had to look for it, sure. See, so again, for some of us, this isn't even a season, just a daily activity. And then he goes on, a time to keep and a time to cast away. So fascinating. You know, we keep things that matter to us that have sentimental value, but we cast off or give away things that we don't or can't use. I mean, we keep pictures of our children, pictures of our family, because those are precious, but we discard the junks that, you know, we can't use or we don't need anymore. That is unless we stick it in our garage And then our children will have to deal with it one day after we're gone, right? Some of you have cleaned out parents' garages, and you're like, how did they accumulate so much stuff? Evidently, they didn't read that there's a time to cast things away, but there is, right? Here's another one, a time to tear and a time to sew. I mean, we all know what it's like to tear a piece of clothing, and some of us know how to repair that clothing. How many sewers do we have in the room? Okay, that's a little more than I would have thought. I would have thought sewing was a dying art. Evidently not. Kind of a funny story about this. So one time several years ago, I was trying to repair a leak under our bathroom sink, and I'm probably not the only guy in the room that, that likes to keep 
clothing past its expiration date. You know what I mean? Like I probably should have thrown stuff out years ago, but I like it. It's comfortable. It feels good. Anyway, we're all familiar with the plumber jokes, right? Uh, in other words, if a guy has been over to repair something under your sink, he's showing you one of two things, his underwear or something worse. Amen? Amen. All right, so that's me, right? Well, uh, my underwear happened to be the thing that was showing. And uh, it was so old, my underwear, I'm not making this up. Around the band, there were holes, like all the way around the band. And so my wife, my wife Jackie, she's making her way in and out of the bathroom as I'm doing this. And at one point, as I'm focused and concentrating on trying to get this uh, sink fixed, I feel a finger reach down into one of those holes, grab my band, and pull as hard as she can, rips my underwear literally in half. There was no sewing those underwear when my wife was done, done with this. And in fact, my wife is here right now. Look how guilty she looks. Listen, I'm going to have her stand up so you know who to blame. I mean, so you can get to know her. Stand up, my wife, Jackie. That's my girl. Now, listen, when she did this, I hit my head. It scared me. I looked at her. I crawled out from under her. I looked her in the face. I said, why? Why did you do that? And, and to this day, she's never come up with a good answer other than, honey, the spirit just moved me. The spirit just moved me. What she should have said was, you know, uh, look, Solomon says there's a time to tear, and this was it. Amen. Those underwear were 25 years old and you didn't need them anymore. All right. So there is, there's a time to tear and there's a time, you know, to sew. There's a, look what else Solomon says. He says, there's a time to keep silent and there's a time to speak. Now listen, we should all pay attention here because here's what we do, all of us. Sometimes we talk when we should remain silent. And sometimes... We remain silent when we should speak up. There is a time for silence, and there is a time for speech, but we have to be in touch with our maker to know when those times are, right? And then he goes on, there's a time to love and a time to hate. Now, again, the teacher is not recommending hate. He's just acknowledging that in a broken, fallen world, there is hatred. And if you doubt that, all you have to do is get on the internet for just a few minutes. You'll pull up plenty of hatred. And he's just acknowledging that human beings, since the beginning of time, have been tempted to hate. He's also acknowledging that everybody loves. Every single one of us in this room longs to love and to be loved. No matter how poorly we may show it, no matter how poorly we ourselves may give or receive love, we all long for it. And then he goes, finally, he concludes with this. There's a, a time for war and a time for peace. Now, once again, the teacher is not 
advocating war. He's simply stating that wars happen in a world when people get crossways with each other. That's just the way the world works. Countries and their citizens can know periods of war and they can know periods of peace. And life in those countries when wars are happening look completely differently. And then he says this, He asks a question in verse 9, what gain has the worker from all his toil? And the understood answer is nothing, absolutely nothing, just going through all these seasons. And then he answers the question with why. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying that when you and I are in a season That season is all that we see. We become oblivious to the seasons that have come before us. We become oblivious to the seasons that are going to come after us. We just think this season is going to last forever. I mean, this season is is the only season I'm ever going to know again, right? In other words, what he's saying is we lose sight of the forest for the trees, God doesn't do that. God stands above the seasons. God sends the seasons. So God is doing something. Even though we're stuck in a moment, stuck in a season, God is not. And he is still working. This is so important to grasp. In fact, two of the most important and beautiful statements in all of Scripture happen in these next two verses. Here's what it says. God has made everything beautiful. In its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he's saying a couple things. We're going to unpack this statement by statement. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's saying this look, God redeems everything, God makes everything new including people, right? Uh, God just has the ability to make everything beautiful in its time. The tears, the pain, the disappointments, the sorrows. In every season of our lives, God is at work. The pleasurable and the painful. Take child rearing, right? Every child is conceived. There's great pleasure, But then pregnancy comes, right? And there's bloating and there's swelling and a lack of sleep. And that's just the husband, right? I mean, it's even worse on the wife's side. I mean, pregnancy is hard. And then comes labor, and that's filled with pain. My wife, Jackie, had two, uh, two C-sections, right? Yeah, two C-sections. And I just got to tell you, that was not pleasant for her or me. In fact, I think when I was in her delivery room going through all this, at one point there were more doctors and nurses tending to me than there were her. I mean, there's just, you know, it's just all hard. It's just all hard stuff. In fact, it, you know, well, here's my point. Child rearing is a long, beautiful bloody, beautiful uh, thing, right? All mixed in together. In fact, did you know this? It's absolutely true. Did you know that women produce a hormone when they breastfeed that reduces pain? And here's why that matters so much, because if that didn't happen, uh, nobody would have more than one kid. Nobody, because they would say, I'm not going through that again. 
But there's something about the anticipation, right, of a child that will cause a woman to want to go through that again. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And sometimes we can't see the beauty. When we're in a difficult season, all we see is the pain and the difficulty of that season. But God is above that and he is working toward good purposes and a good thing. And let me just prove this empirically for you. Sometimes when uh, somebody in our church loses someone that they love, they've passed away. One of the things I often say is I say, listen, I, I can't imagine how difficult this is for you. I can't imagine how tragic and heavy this is. But I want to give you some hope. If God can bring good out of the death of his one and only son, then God can bring good out of this death too. Doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean it's not tragic. It doesn't mean it's not ugly. But God can take that and he can weave good purposes into that. That's what it means when it says he makes everything beautiful in its time or in its season. He's using it. He's using it. He appoints the seasons of our lives, and in doing so, he is weaving a tapestry that only makes sense in light of eternity. In fact, that's his next thought. Look at what he says next. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet he cannot figure out what God has done from beginning to end. So Solomon's kind of saying two things here. First, he's saying that people can intuitively, because of the way they're hardwired, look around and they're going to know that this world is not all there is. Because God's put eternity in their heart. And the, the other thing this means... This is why you see so many movies on people who, um, you know, uh, who want to live forever or they, they want to, you know, drink from a, a well where they can live forever or find a cure so that they can live forever. The, that is the result of the fact that God has put eternity into our hearts. We long for it. We, we yearn for something beyond just what this world has to offer. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying God wired us that way. God put that in our heart. And then look though at the final phrase of verse 11. Yet man cannot figure out what God has done from beginning to end. Here's his point. He's saying God is really, really big. And we are really, really small. And even if God took Albert Einstein under his wing and tried to explain it all, he wouldn't be able to take it in because he's not God. He's finite. He's dependent. He's limited. See? But God, see, in other words, we're not even capable. It's not that we don't want to understand. It's that we're not capable of understanding. So then uh, what do we do with all this? I want us to look at verses 12 through 14. We're going to read through these and I'll just make a couple of observations. 
He says, I perceive there is nothing better for them, for men and women, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So he's continuing this theme. Life is not gain. Life is a gift from God. That's why you can enjoy it, right? In other words, if you see your life as a gift from God, Every day, you will thank God for that gift. You will take more pleasure. You will take more joy out of that one and only life, knowing it comes to you by God's hand. And then he goes on to say, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. There's that eternity word again. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. So kind of just three observations here. Three things Solomon tells us in conclusion. He says, number one, men and women should enjoy life because it's a gift from God. It comes from his hand. And because their life is a gift from God, they should also do good. They should do good. Now listen, this is a completely different message. Solomon is not saying be good. They should be good. That's not what he's saying. Like you can be good, you can not do something, you can stay out of trouble and yet still not be an ounce of help to anybody else. He is not saying here, be good. He is saying, do good to other people. Pray for them, serve them, love them well, honor them, take care of them. Do good has practical ramifications to the person I'm locked eyes with. It means that, that in any given moment, whoever I'm locking eyes with, I should be thinking, how can I do good for this person? How can I make a difference in their one and only life? That's what it means to do good. This is relational, and it's exceedingly practical. Do good. And then finally... Fear God. Fear God. I want you to notice that Solomon said that uh, the things that God does, his permanence, the fact that God is eternal, should cause people to fear before him. Now, this word translates terribly into English. It's not like we should fear God like, oh, I just saw a scary movie or oh, like I'm so afraid of God. I'm so afraid to approach God. That's not the way it um, should translate at all. Th this is awe, like to be in awe of God. This is marvel. Like, man, God, you're absolutely incredible and amazing. I love who you are, right? This is, uh, this is respect. This is admiration, a deep sense of admiration and wonder at God and who he is. And one of the things that um, Solomon says is we should fear him because what he does can't be undone. Uh, and in, in other words, by human beings. So what he's saying there is, hey, look, we should fear him because God's kind of immovable. And then the New Testament came along. And do you know what the New Testament writers said? They said, well, 
God has been immovable. You can't undone anything he's done, but Jesus stepped into time. He stepped from being outside of time. Jesus stepped into time, into seasons, and became subject to those same seasons just like you and I are, painful ones as well, in order to to move us back to God. So what if God has moved in the person of Jesus in fact, a little later in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes, it says that, uh, it says that God uh, brings back what has been scattered. And this is such a beautiful phrase. You know what Solomon's saying? He's saying God's good, he's kind. Uh, remember when Jesus told the story of the prodigal son and then he told the story of the shepherd and the 99 sheep? That's the idea What Solomon is saying, if somebody wanders from God, he reaches out and he pulls them close. He brings them in. So Solomon, the teacher, is actually saying exactly the same thing that Jesus, the teacher, said, that God is the kind of God that will leave the 99 sheep in a field to go out and look and search after the one who's wandered away. That's how much God loves, according to both Solomon and to Jesus. And so here's the conclusion. Part of fearing the Lord means I have to trust him. It means I have to trust the season of life that I'm in to him. And I have to ask him to make that beautiful in its time. Maybe I won't see it till the next season. Maybe I won't see it until the next season after that one. Maybe I won't even see it until I'm old. Maybe I won't even see it until I see Jesus face to face. And then I'll know. But there will come a day, friend, where we will acknowledge, Solomon, you were so right. God makes everything. The tears, the pain, the disappointments. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And... God has empirically proven his love for you. Romans 5.8 says it this way, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners. In other words, while we were wandering away, while we weren't part of the flock, Christ died for us. See, that's how he demonstrated. He's already, he's already demonstrated that he loves you. You don't need to ask if God loves you. He's already proven it by sending his son Jesus to die on a cross. This is why often I will tell people, listen, no matter what blows into your life, filter that through the lens of the gospel. Sure, bad things happen to good people, but that doesn't mean God is punishing you. He's already demonstrated his love for you. Remember that. Go back to the cross. It's at the heart of all that we do, right, is the gospel. The gospel proves that God loves us even when bad things blow into our lives. Now listen, every month, We take time in our service to remember that truth, that Jesus hung on a cross, that his body was offered up, and that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sin. And so the way that we do that, you're going to notice that we have tables up here at the front. We also have tables in the back. We want to invite you to come up and receive communion either at the back or at the front. Then we want to invite you to to one of two things. You can either come here to the altar or to the steps of the stage or 
You can mill back down the middle or back around the edges and head back to, the, uh, to your seat. But no matter what you choose to do, whether you go back to your seat or here to the altar, I want you to hold on to those elements because we're going to take those together. I'm going to come back up and I'm going to prompt us because there's power in together. So let me pray for us. God, uh, would you help us remember you well? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your death, for your burial, and for your resurrection. God, it was your resurrection from the dead that was the game changer. It was your resurrection from the dead that demonstrated and validated all of your claims. And so we remember that today. We celebrate not necessarily your death today, but certainly your resurrection. And we remember, help us remember well, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so now come and receive the altar is open. Jesus Christ, my sanity. Sweet Jesus Christ, my clarity. Bread of heaven broken for me, and cup of salvation held out to drink. Jesus. Mystery Christ has died and Christ is risen Christ will come again Sweet Jesus Christ my sanity sweet Jesus Christ my clarity bread of heaven broken for me and cup of salvation held out to drink Jesus Mystery Christ has died and Christ is risen Christ will come again Christ has died and Christ is risen Christ will come For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this 
in remembrance of me. Let's remember our Jesus together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Again, let's remember. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. Now, church, go take what we've learned today and love well, love the way that Jesus um, loves us, represent his kingdom well, serve people, um, yeah, and be a light in our community. All right? God bless you. We'll see you next week.